Well, amen. Thank you, my brother. What a great, great song. Well, it is truly in the truest sense I can possibly communicate a privilege to be here with you, uh, one that I don't take for granted and uh, nor look at deservedly, but I do appreciate it, and I'm always grateful for Dr. Patterson extending me an opportunity. I pray that in the next few moments that God would help us to understand him and his work of sharing the gospel a little better. And in that, I would ask you to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 12. We'll be looking at verse 35 and 36. The title of my message is The Dynamic of the Gospel Encounter. The Dynamic of the Gospel Encounter. We are to share the gospel, and it is something that we love because it is how we came to know Christ. But when we're sharing the gospel with someone, when there is an encounter with the gospel, is it merely an exchange of words that is taking place, or is there something far more? What is the actual dynamic taking place? And so I want us to see that today in these verses. Leading up to these verses, uh, the news that Lazarus had been raised from the dead had drawn quite a crowd of both Greeks and Jews, and we see that in verse 9 of chapter 12, as well as verse 17 through 22. Also, uh, Jesus' claims and teachings would evoke questions, and again, they had invoked, evoked more questions in verse 34, but there is a time to answer questions, then there's a time to share the gospel. And so Jesus doesn't answer the questions of verse 34 and moves right into the gospel. So I, I want to share with you verse 35 and 36. I want to read through them first altogether. So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of the light. I want to look at these two verses, and I want to point out six things that kind of encapsulate the dynamic of the gospel encounter. The first one is the presence of light. That is seen in verse 35 in the phrase, the light is among you. In verse 36, it's seen in the phrase, you have the light. So Jesus is the light of the world, John chapter 8 and verse 12. And now these people, these Greeks and Jews, are in the immediate presence of the light and the light and truth of the gospel. Second, notice the requirement when one is so enlightened. This is identified by the two statements which they must do and all must do so enlightened. Verse 35, they need to walk 
in the light. Verse 36, believe in the light. So while they were enlightened by the presence of the light, and the light enlightens every man, John 1, 9, that is not enough. They had to act. They had to choose and decide. They had to walk in the light. They had to believe in the light. And the call to believe in the light is the call for they who heard the gospel at this time, but it is the call of everyone in the gospel encounter. The universal call of the gospel is to believe in the light, to walk in the light. They had to act. They had to choose. So this highlights the fact that being in the light and hearing the truth, it gives one the opportunity to be commanded and understand the command and to receive salvation, but it does not secure one's salvation. Paul, recounting why he went to the Gentiles, was sent by God to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, Acts 26, 18. Notice that they are not summoned to believe in the light after they've left the darkness, but rather while they are engulfed in the darkness of Satan's power and the darkness of their own fallen heart. Because the light of the gospel shines into the dark heart of man, penetrates the darkness that Satan cast, so that God calls and summons and commands and draws to come to himself so that when someone is saved, it can be said of him truly that he was called out of darkness into his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2, 9. That is the sufficient call of the gospel to believe, and it goes out to everyone who is in, within the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we see here, even while they are in the darkness of their own sin and under the wrath of God. Third, both the words walk and believe and the original are present active plural imperatives, simply meaning they are commands. They are given to everybody there. In Arkansas, we would have said y'all, and we would have all known that everybody was included. And they are present active. Those that are hearing it are to decide and make a choice. And so what we're seeing is, in this, is that Christ is commanding all of those that are listening to believe and to walk, to choose, and to act. So we see here the enlightenment of the gospel is unconditional for everyone. But the reception of the benefit of the gospel is indeed conditional upon those having been enlightened, believing, and walking in the light. It is vital to understanding the dynamic of the gospel encounter. They must walk and they must believe. What happens is God enlightens, God enables, he calls, he convicts, he draws. 
and he draws to himself. The gospel is never calling us to a teaching. It's always calling us to God. Salvation is God giving himself for man, and the call is to come to God. So God enables and he enlightens, and man should choose to believe, and man can choose to believe. When you look at this encounter, the, di the dividing line is not between the elect and the non-elect. It's not between some having heard the inefficient general call of the gospel and some having received an internal, irresistible, efficacious call. But rather, it is very clear that the dividing line is between some who hear only and some who hear and believe. We see this throughout the scripture. Hebrews 4, 2 and following says, For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united with faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter the rest, just as he said. Again, the dividing line is they heard the same just as, but one is mixed with faith and one is not. The one mixed with faith enters into the rest, and the one that does not, does not. Fourth, notice the urgency of the message, the encounter. This is seen in verse 35. For a little while longer, and again, the phrase, while you have the light. Verse 36, again, while you have the light. The Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament based on semantic domains says that it means briefly, for a short time. In other words, while you have the opportunity, the brief opportunity, so the passion and the pathos and the urgency of this encounter comports well with a temporal opportunity to receive the gospel and to believe and be saved, but it does not meaningfully do so within the doctrine of unconditional election. If unconditional election is true, there can be an urgency on the part of those that are followers of Christ following his commands to take the gospel to the world. But there is no actual urgency on the part of the hearer. Meaning, as you see here, believe and walk in the light while you have the opportunity because at one point you're not going to have it. And to suggest or imply in any way that that exists within the doctrine of unconditional election is at best misleading. The passing of time, the sequence of events, and whatever happens does not change the status, if unconditional election is true, of those that are unconditionally elected or the non-elect, it does not change the status of one of them, not one whit. But here, 
you see an urgency to receive while in the brief time you have the light. So in the gospel encounter, it is a very urgent and moving moment. Being illumined by the gospel affords one the understanding of the gospel, the opportunity to believe, even the command to believe. But the time that one has is passing. And the limit of that time is known only to God. I don't know how much time an individual has, nor do any of us when we're talking to someone, nor do they, only God. But I do know this, it is passing. In this narrative or pericope, it passed very quickly, verse 36, and he went away and he hid from them. He hid himself from them. It was brief. The unpardonable sin is a haunting reminder that it is a brief while you have the light. Matthew 12, 30 and 32. And darkness that stalks every breath of every human and death as a reminder that the time is passing and no one is forewarned of that final second. Fifth, notice that the light overcomes the darkness. This will include both the fallen nature of man and his depravity, his blackened heart, and his environment. This is evident and that Christ is commanding them to believe while they are in the bowels of the blackness of the soul, the darkness of this world, living under the dark canopy of the judgment of God that could befall them at any second. Jesus said, I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Notice he's speaking about those that are in darkness. How do they not remain there by believing? The same thing we see here. In man's sinfulness, apart from the grace of God, he can only wander aimlessly in the broom and the darkness of his own sin. Because of man's depravity and his sinful heart and his blinded eyes, man will never on his own emerge from the darkness into the light because verse 35 says he does not know where he goes. On his own, man will walk the broad road that promises many paths of salvation that all ultimately lead to utter damnation. It is only and the only hope for anyone so encapsulated in the blackness and the darkness of sin is when the light of the gospel penetrates the otherwise unpenetrable darkness and empowers man and illumines the way out. Jesus said, in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
again, speaking to people while they're in darkness. And he says, follow present active. Choose to follow. Be a follower, the one following me. You won't remain there. You won't walk in the darkness not knowing where you go. So the call to believe, as you see here, and to walk in the light doesn't come to these people after regeneration. It doesn't come after an internal, irresistible work of grace for some of them and not for others. But it actually comes to them, and they're all on the same footing. They, it is while a person is in the cauldron of hell's blackness on the precipice of death and hell. They're all in the same state, and they all receive the same call. It is there that God meets man, and man cannot do one whit to come forward out of the darkness until the light penetrates and comes into the darkness, and God enlightens and enables so that man can and should choose to believe and to walk in the light. Now, when I read this, and what I call a simple reading of the Scripture that is not simplistic, but simple, paying attention to grammar, context, everything, but not importing things into it. When I read it in that way, it seems to be a call to believe and to walk in the light, and it gives every indication of being an obeyable command and an accessible opportunity to be saved and to walk in the light for all of those who are present. If it is not that, then it appears to be a cruel and misleading command to come to a phantom opportunity. You see, while in darkness, when a person is in the darkness, it is there that the light of the gospel, the light of truth, penetrates, which is an otherwise humanly impenetrable darkness. And in that darkness, because of the light and the enabling of grace, one is enabled to be able to believe and to walk out of the darkness into the light, John 3, 20 and 21. In other words, when we share the gospel, God is working to give sufficient enabling by grace, not because they merit it, and understanding so that they understand that they can believe and be saved and they understand their sin, and if they walk away, they have a better understanding that they did before the encounter. So the understanding is sufficient for salvation, but it is not sufficient for having all of their questions answered, as we see in verse 34. So what God does in the gospel encounter is he enlightens so that one is enabled to understand there is the conviction of sin, judgment, death, hell. There is the enlightenment of what Christ has done for them. 
and understanding God's gospel and being able to receive, receive it. I was saved at 25 years old because of my background of no church, didn't own a Bible. I had such a jejune or, or infantile understanding of anything related to God that with the knowledge I have now, I look back upon that encounter and actually I did everything wrong. I mean, you just could not hold it up as a model how to lead somebody to Christ. I did everything wrong except one thing, believe. And it was a very basic belief. But thank God that was sufficient. So the gospel encounter is not sufficient knowledge to answer all the questions a person has, but it is a sufficient knowledge for them to understand the offer of the gospel and to be able to access, access forgiveness. Unconditional election makes Jesus appear to offer to all of these hearing a real chance to repent and believe. You see, if Calvinism is true, Jesus as the second person of the triune God was a participant in the development of the exclusive salvific plan that inviolably precludes most from being saved, all but the unconditionally elect. Now, some of my brothers and sisters in Calvinism respond, well, Jesus as a human, he didn't know who the elect and the non-elect were, so he gave a good faith offer. But that's to miss the point, beloved, because in verse 49 and 50, Jesus said, of this chapter following this, said, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. And no amount of reliance upon the good faith offer can exonerate the Father from leading Jesus to say words and present things as though everyone has an opportunity when in fact they don't. Nor can one assuage the difficulty or lessen the difficulty by assuming that, well, maybe all of the ones to whom he speaks are the unconditionally elected. No, because when you follow the passage out in verse 37, some did not believe, and verse 42, some did believe. So the truth is that Jesus spoke, commanded all of them, because all of them had a real chance, and all of them could believe, and all of them should believe. God had made the provision necessary in the grace work. Grace, it is free to us by grace, but my beloved, the work of grace was accomplished by God and what he did in giving his only begotten son and all of the grace enablements that bring us to a point where we can, in the depth of our sin, believe and be delivered. Sixth, the two reasons he gives why one should believe and walk in the light. Now, what we have seen thus far, we have seen the urgency of the message while you have the light, and now we see highlighted the indeterminacy of the message. And again, we see emphasized the conditional nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is seen in the original by the introduction, the word hina, translated so that 
in the English, there are two of these clauses. One of them is negative and one of them is positive. If you notice the negative one in verse 35, he says, so that the purpose that darkness will not overtake you. The positive is in verse 36, so that you may become sons of light. Read without theological importations, this is clearly precluding predetermined conclusions in the event. They, as all who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, are commanded to believe. Why? What is the purpose for commanding them to believe? Positively, so that they may become sons of light. So that by becoming sons of light, they are not once again overtaken by the darkness, the negative side of it. The darkness will overcome them again when the light is withdrawn, when the truth is gone. Even though they are children of darkness, dead in trespasses and sin, children of wrath, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, imprisoned in spiritual darkness, what you see here is at the moment of the gospel encounter, if you will, metaphorically, the cell door is opened. The light out of the dark cell is illumined. And the prisoner is enabled to walk out of the prison cell of his own sin so that he may become a son of the light and thereby not be overcome by the darkness again when the light of the truth is gone, leaving him once again to wander aimlessly in the darkness. What is critical to see here is, as we well know, before the encounter, everyone there and every person is in the darkness of sin, in the darkness of this fallen world under the prince of darkness. And Jesus, though, speaks in a way that clearly indicates that there has been a change because he says, Become a son of light so that the darkness does not overtake you. The darkness had overtaken them. But in the gospel encounter, the light penetrates the darkness, holds the darkness in abeyance so that they have an opportunity to become a child of light and the darkness does not overtake them. But if they do not, the darkness in which they were imprisoned in prior to the encounter will overtake them again, and they will walk aimlessly. So it indicates that at the moment of the gospel encounter, it is not a mere exchange of words between us, but God is working so that they are no longer controlled at that moment by their sin, and they can understand. They are grace-enabled to believe. Beloved, what could be more clear than in the gospel encounter, God is working sovereignly and powerfully to overcome all of the effects of sin 
and they are vast and profound and far beyond the power of man to deal with. And in that encounter, God is illuminating and empowering and liberating and calling and drawing and convicting so that everyone who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ can walk out of that darkness, become a son of light, and never wander aimlessly again in the darkness of his sin. As mentioned, all of the pronouns are plural. So what you have is this. It's inescapable. The you that he commanded to believe and walk in the light is the same you, all of them, that he's saying so that the purpose why I told you to believe is so that purpose clause, you can become a son of light. All of them. Everyone who hears the gospel. All can become children of light. All can avoid being overcome again by the darkness. Because what is seen here in the gospel encounter, the darkness looms portentously, but not controllingly. It would be like a mountain lion sitting upon a rock waiting to pounce on his prey. But before he pounces, the prey can move at will. But once he pounces, he controls the prey. And so when the light penetrates the darkness and comes into where man is, man doesn't go to the light, the light comes to him and illumines. He is holding the darkness in abeyance. But when the light is withdrawn, the darkness will rush in and man will wander aimlessly. The word to overtake is katalambano, Lambano to, to take or seize, and kata, it's an intensified form of the word. It's translated in Mark chapter 9, verse 18, to take control of someone. And so what it's saying is that there is this ominous cloud, this imminent cloud of darkness looming over the gospel encounter when we're sharing the gospel and someone is listening and it is looming overhead, awaiting to come in and control them and to take them back into darkness. It is true that the ruler of this world, Satan, John 12, 51, leads the world forces and rulers, powers of darkness, Ephesians 6, 12, Satan blinds people to the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4.4. He seeks to keep man in his power, Ephesians 6.12, and therefore enslaved to man's sin and darkness, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. And he does so with unbreachable effectiveness against man alone. But as vividly portrayed here in the dynamic of the gospel encounter, the hellish power of Satan and of sin is subjugated to the power of the gospel. And it is God's light that is triumphant in that moment to give man a real accessible opportunity to believe the light or to walk away from the light with better understanding than when before he was enlightened. It is the light of the world that enlightens every man, John 1, 9. 
so crucial to understanding the gospel encounter is that it is obviously by the words here transpiring absent from predetermined works of grace that tell us the conclusion before this event. This warning is as meaningless as the offer if unconditional election is true. What you see here also is that the truth, the gospel, is not merely to inform someone. It's not merely to tell them something. It's not merely to educate us. But it is to call us to make a decision. And therefore, when we elide or choose not to give some kind of invitation where it's clear of what the decision is and that the opportunity is present, we becloud the very nature of the gospel. Now listen, I know some are pulling away from making some kind of invitation. I, I've seen the invitation for people to be saved, manipulated, both in personal witnessing and from the pulpit. But beloved, the answer to corrupting something is not to dismiss it, but it's to correct it. I've seen Christian love corrupted, but I didn't abandon it. You see, the very nature of the gospel, it would be hard to say, is this the gospel or the invitation of the gospel? Because it's inherent in the gospel. And so to try to give it without the, the invitation is not to give the gospel as it is. So what we see is in the crucible of the conflict for the soul of man while he is still in his sin, while he is in darkness, while he is still a slave to sin, while he is still on the precipice of hell, that the working of God, the pre-conversional working of God by grace frees man provisionally so that he may understand and choose to believe the gospel so that he may know God's love eternally. Is a sovereign, omnipotent God able to do that? Yes. Is a sovereign, omnibenevolent God willing to do that? Yes. And this gospel encounter ends as many do, but when it ends without somebody coming to Christ, don't ever assume that God is not working. We see in verse 37, some did not believe. Verse 42, some did. Because it is the living word of God, what he said to them is, is true for us today. And you can be in seminary training and never really given your life to Jesus Christ. That's the harsh truth. That you can be in the presence of the illuminating work of God. And as we see here, but that's not enough. You personally have to believe in the light and walk in the light so that you may become a son of the light so that the darkness doesn't once again overtake you. I pray that for everyone here. Thank you.